All right, I hope we have our Bibles ready. Uh, as we wrap up this part, this series is, is, uh, is the last in this part of the book of Romans, okay? So we've broken the book of Romans up in actually four different series. And, um, and this one, Alive in Christ, ends in chapter 8. We're at the very final part of chapter 8. It's taken us three weeks, three different sermons to get there. All right, so everybody ready? Yeah, so if you're new to New Hope, there's a few things that you need to know. Number one, we study through books of the Bible. That's how we teach, because we want you to understand God's Word. We want, God, we want God's Word to make sense, okay? And so that's what we try to do on Sundays, is, uh, is help you do that. The other thing is we want you to be in God's Word, meaning if all you do is feed on God's Word one day a week, the rest you're starving, right? So we want you to be with God, be in His presence, pray and get in His Word. That's why we create these, these reading plans. Now, we had one on every single seat, so every single person has one of these. Grab it and, and wave it in the air like you just don't care. Right, all right, so, all right, so this, is your, uh, this is your reading guide for the next series that we're calling That All May Be Saved. We get into an in- interesting part of the book of Romans starting in chapter 9, and we start talking about the Jews and Gentiles, all sorts of stuff. And so, um, so what we do is create a guide for you to be able to spend some devotional time each day with God. Um, we create a system called the SOAP method, where you read scripture, you make an observation, just write down something that you observe about that passage. Uh, application A, right, that you, what can you apply to your life of what you just read? What, what can you do with that? And then P is pray. You spend time just talking to God. He wants to hear from you. Last week, Nikki did an awesome job talking about God as our father. We, our dad wants us to talk to him, right? He, he may know everything, but he wants to know from you. Just like as me as a parent, like I may know what's going on with my kids, but I want them to tell me because I want to know, you know, from them. And that's what we do when we pray. We're talking to God and spend that time with them. And so on the back, we give you things to read. So you're reading ahead of the Sunday that we preach. And so the new, you know, series is going to start in Romans chapter 9. So this week, you're going to read Romans chapter 9, and, uh, and, and then you're going to be ready for next Sunday when we teach on it. So, so grab one of these if you don't have it. There's memory verses at the bottom, like normal. Um, it will be this afternoon up on our website. It'll be updated on our, on our app. All that kind of stuff will be the new series. So we don't, didn't want to update it until you were done with the last one. So, so we spend time with that. And we've learned some awesome stuff, haven't we? Like, the book of Romans is good. Like, this is really good. Just so you know, the book of Romans has also been exhausting for your teaching team, all right? Because it's like, we, you have to study deep and hard and, uh, to, to really get through the book of Romans so that we can make some of these complex and, and even difficult to understand, like, doctrinal stuff to just make sense. How can we truly understand it? And hopefully it's been helpful. Has it been helpful? Yep. Yeah. yeah? Good, good, good. And so today... Um, probably the best of the best. Here we go. So this is, this is Riches. And, and so in chapter 8, we also had our memory verse for this part of the series, which is Romans 8, 28. We learned a couple of weeks ago what this meant. And so we want you to hide God's word in your mind so it goes to your heart and moves to your hands, right? It's, you understand it. It transforms you inside out. So then you look different. You live different. And so, uh, so this, is, this is the passage. Let's read this one out loud together uh, for the last time this morning in this series. All right, here we go. And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his 
purpose. Now, we unpacked this a couple weeks ago, didn't we? And because this is the verse that can be uh, skewed and misunderstood, especially in our consumeristic-driven culture that we live in. We think our good means God wants to give me good stuff, right? It's just all about the blessing, like give me the, the wealth, the income, the good relationships, like all that kind of stuff. But when we learned about this passage, it goes way deeper than that, because this is, this is the good that God longs for us. Um, oops, is not up here. So the, the point that, if you remember, it was that God's good for us is our holiness, that we become more like Jesus Christ. The very next verse is that we would be transformed into the image of Christ, right? And so his good for us may be us, for us to go through some hard things, to prune the ugly out, the things that shouldn't be in there so we can look more like Christ at the end of that journey. That's what happens. We usually grow and get closer to God in the valleys so we can celebrate the peaks a lot more and rejoice in them. And so, uh, so the good that God has is for us to be more like Christ and to look more like him. And uh, we're going to continue to understand what that means today. And oh man, the good. This is, this is a great promise in this passage today. And, uh, and I'm hoping we can walk into it. So let's read the passage for the day. In Romans chapter 8, we're going to be starting in verse 31. And if you could, if you can stand, go ahead and join and stand when we read God's Word. Here at New Hope, we stand, and that's, a, that's in an attitude of honoring God's Word, that we want to honor His Word and together. And so I'm going to be reading 31, 8, Romans 8, 31 through 39, and the NIV is what I'm reading this morning. This is what it says. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus, who died more than that, who raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. God, this is such a good word for us today. But so often, the truth we're about to hear and what we're going to dig into, we don't truly believe. We don't believe with our hearts or with our actions or with our thoughts. I'm asking, would you transform us this morning, God, by this word that you've given us? We know that your spirit is alive, is active, wants to change, grow, mold, shape us into the image of Christ. And today, what needs to be done, we're just asking, would you do it, God, in us? And we just thank you for your word. Thank you for your spirit. Thank you for your work in us. In Christ's name we pray. Everybody said amen. 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 Hey, let's say victory. victory. All right, that was sad. Let's do it one more time. Let's say victory. victory. That's what we're looking for. It's because you were sitting. It's hard to yell and say it at the same time. Um, okay, so Romans eight thirty one through 39 is where we're at. Now, I want to start with a self-assessment, okay? I, I literally, I want you to have your worship program notes out, and you're going to rate yourself from 1 to 10 on this question, okay? And, uh, and it kind of goes based off of what we learned last week. Last Sunday, we learned about the love of God, that, that God is a heavenly Father. And so today, 
Uh, where is your confidence in God's love for you? How confident are you in God's love for you? Not for anybody else, but for you. One being not confident at all, 10 being like, I, off the charts confident, God loves me. Like, where would you put, like, for real, where would you put that? What number would you write down for yourself and how confident you are that God truly, absolutely, 100% just loves you? Last week's message, I'm saying Nikki did a great job talking about childlike faith. That the images she used, the, the message that, that she spoke um, was so good and like for us to understand this, this love, right? This love that God has. But I know the truth in most of us and especially the truth in America, um, they would pretty put a very low number on this. Uh, there was an article that I read and it was, it was from a little while ago. It was from 2015 talked about the Google results for people who searched about God. And there were three main questions that were the highest on the searches about God. And number two was, why does God allow bad things to happen? And then number three in the ultimate searches in America was, why does God hate me? That was number three. It's a telling tale of what people think about God and who they think God is. If you come in today and you come up with the image that God is like this angry God— this judgmental God, this God that can't wait to just smite you, can't wait to spank you, can't wait to like be like, yep, you are horrible, you are awful, like you have come to the wrong place. Because that is not the God that we read about in the Bible. That isn't the God that we're talking about in Romans, and especially in Romans chapter 8. The God we know is the God who loves. Actually, that is who he is. That's his ultimate character. God is Love. He's proven it over and over and over and again. But the problem with us is that we honestly, just if we really got down to it in our heart of hearts, we have a hard time believing that. Like truly, like really believing. No matter what you do, no matter how you live, no matter what you did yesterday, no matter the mistakes you made, no matter how great you were, God loves you for who you are. Amen. And that, that's hard. Honestly, it's hard to believe. I'm going to get really personal by the end of this morning and get very vulnerable with you guys, so um, I'm hoping that you'll go there with me, that we'll get real, and then we'll get real and vulnerable before God. Because what happens is we have these lies that play out in our heads. I've been reading, I don't know what it was. Well, I do know what it was. God, God ordained some things in my life to be able to preach messages, obviously. And, um, and so like <laughs> this, this week, all the podcasts and the book I'm reading, and all it's all talking about um, like it's, it's attaching the Bible with also science and neurology, how our brains work. And there's these neural pathways in our brains that, that thoughts continually go down. And we have a tendency in our minds to create pathways that lead to things that aren't true. They lead to lies. And so like when you believe something, it's like your brain is creating, it's almost like sheep that know where the barn is and where they hang out in the shade and they use the same path over and over again, right? You've seen those kind of paths where like the dirt starts to wear away and there's like a valley there because they've worn that path so deep because that's the path they always go down. That's what happens in our brain. Isn't that crazy? That we like wear like neurological pathways that are so ingrained the moment something happens here, our brain automatically goes boop, boop, here. And and. A lot of times, that neural pathway, that, that line between something we hear, experience, takes a path of a lie 
that then we act out and live in in our own lives. It's, it's, it's mind-boggling that science is still catching up with God. God knows what he's doing, right? Like God is an amazing creator and how he created us and how we work. If you are living a life, though, of repeated false beliefs, that's what you've done to yourself. You've set up a pathway. And anytime a truth might come, it goes down that path to the lie. Nope, can't be true. Why? Well, because when I was three, this. When I was like 16, that. And we've created those lines. You all with me? You walking with me? Okay. This isn't my note, so I'm just kind of winging it here a little bit. So Paul, when we get to verse 31 through 39, it's like Paul is saying, wherever you are on the spectrum, and maybe whatever lies that pathways you've created in your head, in your heart, in your mind, in your thinking, the way, the way you process life, it may be time for you to change some pathways. It may be time for you to move that number up a few, right? To move from a five to an eight, right? To move from a one to a three. It may be time to increase your understanding of God's love for you. And that's what this whole passage is, isn't it? It's like so rich and so deep and so good. And so this is what I want us to understand from the beginning of this, this message is that to walk in victory, which we want, honestly, all of us want victory. We want to live victoriously. We want to conquer things that we know aren't true and, and things that are hard and difficult. Like we want victory, but to do that, we have to put off the lies and believe the truth. We have to rearrange those pathways in our thought processes. We have to rearrange the patterns of our heart when it comes to us accepting something. And we have to move from a lie to truth. That's the process that we've been talking about, the whole progressive sanctification thing, that God wants us to look more and more like Christ, that putting off and putting on. That's a part of the putting off the old self, is rewiring and transforming your mind. I can't wait to get to Romans chapter 12, y'all. Like Romans 12, 1 and 2 has been kind of like my life verses for a long time. And, um, and so we're going to get there. And that, it's all about this idea of transforming the way you think so you can walk into the truth that God has for you. Here's the truth this morning. God loves you. Amen. Thank you for the one amen, but I want us all to say it. God loves you. Amen, amen right? Like, okay, you're starting to rewire some things maybe. With one amen, you can start rewiring some things. You can walk from a lie into a truth. That's what God wants for you, okay? Now, I don't have tons of notes this morning. I have like less slides than normal, which is weird. So I think this is gonna be like a verse-by-verse kind of morning. Everybody ready for that? Okay, so let's just hop into it. Romans chapter eight, we're gonna start in verse 31, all right? And this is what he says at the very beginning. He said, what then shall we say in response to these things? In, what things? In response to what things, Paul? And you could go back and say, well, in response to the paragraph before, or just like chapter 8, right? Like in response to that, you know, we, we have the Holy Spirit. Like in, Well, I would say, let's say in response to the whole daggone book so far, right? He's like, in response to the fact that we are all sinners, every single one of us, needing salvation, that Jesus became salvation and justified us just as if we have not sinned before God made us right, redeemed us from sin into holiness and sanctification and that whole process before God himself, that he also then has given us his spirit inside of us and that Holy Spirit is interceding for us when we don't even know what to say or do. The Holy Spirit's working, connecting us with eternity, with heaven, that he's given us that and we are called children of God because of all this. It's like proof, 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 proof because of all that. If God is for us, who can be against us? 
he says. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us what? All All things. I'm already in it. All right. I'm just going to give you the main point right now, because this is it. Write this down. If God is for us, then who cares who's against us? Right? That's what he's saying. Because of all of this, all of what God has already done, all of what God has shown and proven himself, that he loves you. He's given everything up for you. He did not withhold his own son dying on the cross for you. He has done it all. So if, if that God who's done all that for you is for you, then who cares who is against you? Do you believe it? Yeah. You're starting to. Okay. This whole argument in these first two verses, it's this argument of the, the, if the greater is true, then also the lesser is true, right? It's the argument of the greater to the lesser. And I want to use an illustration um, that maybe will help you. Um, today, I made a pretty large purchase for us uh, as a church for an illustration. I've already spent a lot of money on, you know, bars of gold. You, you guys saw, uh, uh, you know, a few weeks ago. Um, they're still in a box back there, so if you want to steal them, they're worth $19.76. All right. Um, but today, imagine that you went to a jeweler, and that jeweler said, I want to give you a gift. I want to give you actually like the most valuable thing I have in this store. Oh, not only that, I want to give you the most valuable thing, the most valuable jewel on the planet. And, and he said, I, I just have it in this little bag here. Let me pull it out for you. And he pulls out the largest diamond you have ever seen in your life. And it is sparkly. I don't know if you can see the sparkles on that thing. I did some research on this diamond. This very specific one, okay? This diamond is so large. There's no other diamond like this on the planet. This is the only one. It is worth hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars. It's actually priceless because they can't compare it with any other diamond. But if you were to buy it, good luck, because it's going to cost you hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars. Now, here's the thing. What do you do when they give you a diamond like that? The George is like, there you go. Am I just supposed to hold it? He's like, no, 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 no. I tell you, I'll, I'll let you carry it in the gift bag. The gift bag is free. Awesome, thank you. Oh, not only that, no, no, no. I'm also going to give you a stand to put it on. So, so here's the stand for you to actually display the most expensive diamond in the world. So here's the stand. I'm going to throw that stand in for free. Really? Thank you so much. Oh, and you're probably going to have to clean it. So I'm going to also throw in one of these cleaning cloths, you know, and so that whenever it gets a little dirty and somebody comes and touches it, and you're like, don't touch it, please, right? That you can take it and you can clean it and, uh, and then put it back so it sparkles nice and bright. And I'm going to throw that in for free. Oh, thank you. This is the image of what God has done for you. God has given you the most valuable thing ever in the history of mankind. Salvation through the sacrifice of his one and only son. And what we do, though, is we say, thank you for that gift, but there's no way you could give me the free cloth. Do you hear the ridiculousness of like, oh, in the bag? No, no, no. Sorry, you can't have the bag to carry it home in. 
That makes no sense. This stuff is just the bonus of the free stuff that you get with the most valuable thing you've ever received in your entire life. It just comes with it. This is the image. We have been given the most valuable gift in salvation through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross. If, let me, uh, you guys aren't with me. All right, so let me rewind here. He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, the diamond of immeasurable value, You cannot put a value on it. How will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all the other things that you need to walk with in your life? He does. So you can display your salvation. He gives you the cleaning cloth, which is like our sanctification. Whenever things get dirty on us, here's, uh, I'm going to get ahead of myself. Yeah, I'm not going to use that one yet. All right. <laughs> that, that he gives us sanctification so, so we can polish our salvation, right? That we can look more and more like Christ. He gives us the gift back to carry it around with us wherever we go so everyone else can see it and that we can put it on display on the stand anywhere. He has already done all the greatest things. Why do we live like losers? Why do we live as if we are not victors but victims? You with me? If he can give us the diamond, he can give us the bag, and he can give us the stand, and he can give us the cloth, he has already given us all things. Why would he withhold the things to help you walk deeper and closer into his love for you? I'm only two verses in, y'all. Let's keep going. Because here's the the rub. We're going to get into the rub, though. Okay? Here's the thing that gets us. Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? Some of you, that is where your mind goes. When the moment I say God loves you, your thought goes to, but you don't know, Tim. But you don't know what I did last night. You don't know what I did three days ago. You don't know what I did when I was 17. Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? I do. My own mind does. But there's somebody even greater in the process. Let's keep reading. It is God who justifies. All right? I'm already ahead of myself. It's God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of, the, of God of the Father and is also interceding for us. What? So not only did God like die and sacrifice himself to pay for our penalty of, of sin, of death, right? The debt of sin. He's also rose again. He conquered death itself. He rose again. He is alive. That same God Let's keep reading. Who shall separate us then from the love of, the, of Christ, right? Shall trouble or hardship? Who here has gone through trouble or hardship? Okay, all the real people in the house, right? Or persecution or famine or nakedness? I'm not going to ask that question. Or danger or sword? He's like, who, if you're going to go through something, like, is any of that going to separate us from God? As it is written, for your sake, we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. Now, he's writing, Paul's writing to the church in Rome. And Rome, in Rome, the Christians at this point in history, were starting to experience some persecution. 
But it wasn't anything compared to what was coming in Rome, right? Rome got ugly with persecution. We're talking like, like live burnings of Christ followers as sport. We're talking like the Caesars and rulers like using Christians to light their cast or to light their, you know, their houses burning. Like what in the world? The persecution that was about to come. That doesn't happen here where we're at, but he's kind of preparing those Christians in Rome like even to that extent, that level of persecution, is that going to separate you from God? This is, this is the troubling, this is the rub, right? This is the, I hear you that I've been given this, but in my life, I still go through crap. Like, it's still not easy. It, I'm, I still struggle. There's still hard things I'm going through. There's still stupid things in me and stupid things in people beside me, right? Like, I'm still struggling, so how can I say I'm a victor whenever I'm feeling this tension? You need to understand the battle that's going on. There's, there's two battles. One, the battle is for, first off, it's in you, which he talked about, was it chapter six, seven? I forget. Where, where it's the, the sin in us, it's still present in us, and so we have this internal accusation because of the sin that we still have. I've been present at every bad decision I've made. Did you know that? So have you, right? We've all been present in our stupid decisions. Like, like, there's this internal battle. Like, I know myself. Like, I can bring accusations against myself, but then there's somebody externally that's continually doing this. His name is Satan. Amen. That there is an external accuser. Actually, this is what it says in the book of Revelation, chapter 12. Luckily, at the end of the, of the story. Like, this is the revelation of God's promises at the end of the story of what he's going to do. And this is what, how it describes Satan in chapter 10, halfway through. It says, For the accuser of our brothers and sisters who accuses them before our God day and night. This is who Satan is. He is the great accuser of the brothers and sisters. And he accuses us before God and he may come and try to accuse us before us to say, how can you be loved by God? I'm accusing you of this. Now here's the here's the other part of this. He's probably accusing you of things that you did do, <laughs> right? He's accusing you of the sin that you know you have. So you're like, yes, you're right. That was me. I did do that. I did sin against God. I did ignore his love. I, yeah, you're accusing me of this stuff. And yeah, I did have to go through hard times, maybe because of my own decisions, or I'm going through hard times because somebody else's sinful decisions. And so if he accuses us, it may be of things that we actually did. Satan's desire is for you to feel alone, separated, defeated, unworthy, guilty, and condemned. That is his continual goal for you, to steal your life. You can be Christ's and still feel like you have a stolen life. I don't know if you've ever dealt with bullies. A, don't be a bully. But bullies are looking for a reaction, aren't they? There's something inside of them that's longing for attention. And so they do what they know to do. And they grew up in probably places where that's how I got attention. I hurt, I punched, or whatever, whatever that was. I did it to get attention. And so if a bully starts yelling at you, accusing you of stuff, the best thing for you to do is to ignore every single word. When you ignore them, they lose their power. They can't accuse you if you're not listening. La, 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 right? Like... <laughs> That'll drive them nuts, right? 
That's who Satan is. Satan is a bully. Now listen to the goodness of God. Let's go back. Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is who who justifies? God. Satan doesn't justify anybody. Uh, Let's see. Uh, Who then is the one who condemns? No. No one. Satan can't condemn. Why? Because Christ Jesus, who died more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of the Father. And what is Jesus doing for us? Interceding for us. Even though I can be accused and I did do the thing, Jesus is saying, but I've already forgiven it. There is no more accusation. There is no more condemnation. Yeah, they did it, but I forgave them. I paid for that for them. It's done. It's finished. It's over. And so when we walk into these lies, we need to understand this, that Jesus intercedes for us and he is rejecting accusation and condemnation for our sins. That is a proactive position of our Savior. He has saved us and now he is interceding at the right hand of the Father, rejecting every accusation and condemnation that you or Satan is trying to bring before him. And he says, already forgiven. He said, I know my kids don't do all the good things, but I still love them like crazy. You see that one? That one's my favorite. You see that one? That one's my favorite. See that one? He's my favorite. See that one over there? She's my favorite. You're like, wait a minute, how can they all be favorites? Because I'm God. All of them are my favorites. So you can buy the t-shirt that says, I'm God's favorite. And so are you. Because that is who you are. Jesus shuts the accusations and the accuser down. Satan has already lost. The bully is already defeated. His words have zero power or authority in your life, in your heart, in your mind. Now start living like it. We're raising the level. How much do I believe God loves me? And the cleaning cloth, and the gift bag, and the stand. If he can do the greatest, he can do the smallest. Stop living and feeding the accusations and the condemnation. They are not from God. They're not from God. It gets so much better in verse 37, which is the hardest part to believe. Because in verse 37, he now like it's like the crescendo. <laughs> it's like, if God could do all that, trust me, he can do the little stuff. Oh, and he's given you the Spirit, and he's called you a child, and he's interceding. The Holy Spirit's interceding, and Jesus is interceding. You got lots of intercession before the court of heaven. Poof. And so, no condemnation, no accusation. And he says, no. He's like, who's going to condemn you? Nobody. Who's going to accuse you? Nobody. Why? Just no. The answer is no to that. <laughs> like, no. Why? In all of these things. So in all these things he started with, right? In all these things, um, what can we say in response to all these things? If God is for us, then who cares who's against us? And then so also know in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Him who did what? 
he's trying to get his point home. You are more than conquerors through him, through God who loved us. For I am convinced, and this is what we all need to be convinced of today. Paul says, I am convinced that neither death nor life. So like persecution that leads to death, nope, no power. Life, and I would use that word life in like all of life, like the good stuff and the bad stuff in life, just all the things you're going to go through in life. So death or life, neither angels nor demons. So even in the spiritual realm, they can't do anything. Neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth or anything else, just in case I didn't list all of enough in all of creation. Do you hear what he's saying? There ain't nothing. That's a double negative. There isn't anything. I don't know. Anyway, so this is what he's saying. Nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing can separate you from the love of God. He has given himself a 10. Will you receive his 10 or keep it at a 3? Amen. You are more than conquerors. Let's talk about more than conquerors. Let's talk about this Greek word. Um, This is such a cool Greek word. It's the word hupernikeo. I don't speak Greek, but that's what it is. It's, 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 It's made up of two kind of words. Hyper, which is some of you have kids, like... Hyper is like extreme, right? It's like, woo, it's like, ah, that's hyper. Nikeo, it's where we get the word Nike. Have you heard of Nike before? Nike actually means victory. That's what it means. So when you wear those shoes, you're claiming victory. The noise work, by the way. But like, <laughs> but in the Greek, in this passage, hyper Nikeo, this is what this means. This is the promise. This is who you are in God because of Christ and what he's done and his love for you. It means to vanquish beyond. I love that. The vanquish. Like that's such a, mm, like, it's like to ultimately vanquish beyond. Like the, whatever vanquish was, now it's all the more. Like it's, it's way beyond. It's to gain a decisive victory. Meaning there's no question in it. You are victorious. There's no but. No, 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 no buts. You just are. That is who you are in Christ Jesus. It means to be more than a conqueror. Like, this is the imagery, like, people that went into battle in the old times, right? If they were a conqueror, they would then go fight that battle, and then when the battle was over and they won, they would then call themselves conquerors because they accomplished their goal of winning that battle. To be more than a conqueror is whenever you go in already knowing you've won. You're going in and saying, I'm already victorious over this battle. And you get to the other side, you just go, see? That's more than a conqueror. This means to gain a surpassing victory. Do you live like that? Do we live like that? Do we walk as hyper... Right? Do we live as... <laughs> like crazy to vanquish beyond to gain decisive victory to be more than a conqueror hyper conquerors do we live that because that's who you are you are so loved by god victory is already there he's already given it to you it's like this image of always having power to spare now i'm a car guy and from time to time tim talks about cars so i'm going to do that today um there's a car that I will never drive, and it's a bummer. It's, it's a $3 million car. So 
I can't afford this, so there's no way I can afford the $3 million car. Uh, by the way, this was $11.99 on Amazon, all right, and it's crystal, okay? Um, just those of you here keeping numbers, like that church, they got a big diamond. That's not true. It's, it's, it's glass, okay? Um, so the, there's this car called the Bugatti Chiron Super Sport. Here's a picture of it. That, ooh, I like, those of you who said ooh, you're my friends. All right, so, so this is like the world's fastest production car. And there's always a competition between companies about who has the world's fastest production car. This car right here would be, you can easily go get groceries in this car. Easily, right? Like, if you hopped into that, it actually has lots of storage in there, lots of different compartments. Like, you got space to put your groceries in. You can drive, you know, to the, to the store, fill up, go, and then drive home. And you can stay the speed limit, right? Like, you can take this car and just go get groceries. It's made for way more than that, isn't it? Like, this, it's, it's, um, it's almost 1,600 horsepower. It does 0 to 62 in 2.4 seconds. It broke the world record as far as it, from zero to 400 kilometers per hour to zero, which 200, 400 kilometers is 249 miles per hour. It did it in 42 seconds. Okay, my first car was a 1983 Honda Accord. It did zero to 60 sometimes, right? Like, <laughs> like, like, but the thing is, in my Honda Accord, I could go get groceries. I had plenty of trunk space, like, it, but it was just enough, right? It was just enough. And some of you, you live Honda Accord Christian lives. I feel like I just barely have enough. And you say, no, 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 you've got the Bugatti. I mean, you are capable of getting to the grocery store way faster than anybody else in this county. And you're way more capable of getting larger tickets than anybody else in this county. But the thing is, cop can't catch you because he ain't driving a Bugatti. Right? You can get in deep trouble with that Bugatti. <laughs> and it's a good thing I'll never own one. So. But this is what I want you to understand. Like, this is hyper-conqueror. You have way more in your spiritual tank than you will ever need. But do you live that way? There is a divide. There is a grand divide between what we believe and what is true. And a lot of times, I'm, this is where Tim's going to get very vulnerable. I don't believe it. There are times where, like, I just, I know it. I mean, shoot, I know God's word. I read the Bible. I pray. I talk to God. But there's times in my soul that I don't believe it. Here's what I want us to understand. Okay. Let me use another. This is the fill in the blank. This is what you need to understand. If you're saved, you're saved. Some of you need to just hear that loud and clear. If you're saved, you're saved. It's not, if you're saved, start worrying about being saved. Or start worrying about like, oh, you better stay saved. No, no, no. If you're saved, you're saved. If Christ completed his work on the cross of salvation and you've accepted it, you're saved. So if you're saved, you're saved and you're a super conqueror. You have more spiritual power in the tank than you will ever need from the greatest to the smallest. He is capable and he is able and he is willing. Why? Because he loves you like a son. He loves you. You're his daughter. That's why. That's why he wants to do it. Just because he stinking loves you. No other reason. If you're saved, you're saved. Some people, 
Some people think you can get more saved. Let me describe, let me describe this. And maybe you're in, the, you're in the room. This is a bad theology. This is a bad doctrine, okay? We know when you confess with your mouth, believe in your heart, that Jesus died for you on the cross, you're saved. That's it. It's belief. It's confession. You can't get any more saved than that moment that you're saved. There's no more, well, I was like part saved, and so I need to like get baptized to get more saved. It doesn't work that way. Baptism is just an external thing that shows that you are already saved. Let me use the illustration of marriage, okay? Let's say, uh, let's say you're really rich and you buy your girl a ring, and this is the diamond on it, right? All right, so like, you're doing well in life, right? <laughs> you say you put a ring on it, and you're, that ring is a promise of marriage, right? Like the, that engagement is like, I promise that we're going to get married. Like, I am committing to you, okay? So that's like the pre, like, okay, we're getting to know each other, and then you get engaged, and then you're like, you love each other, and then you're going to be making a commitment of getting married. Now, with, with weddings and marriages, there's lots of things that happen. When you get married, there's a ceremony, right? Uh, usually a pastor standing up front, and there's this whole to-do, and, and like people are dressed nice, and they come to celebrate, and you've got rings, and you've got vows, and you do a sand thing, or a flower thing, or a candle thing, or there's just lots of things you do, right, to celebrate, like, hey, this is it. We're making a commitment before all of our friends. We're making this commitment before God, but the thing is, that ceremony, that's all it is. It's just a ceremony. That's all it is. You know the moment you're married, do you know when that is? It's when the license is signed. Whenever that pastor says, okay, thank you for going and getting a license. You went and did the right thing. You legally went and, and now the moment that pastor says, I'm signing this, that license is proof of your marriage. Now, some of you who grew up in conservative Christians' homes and you got that signed the night before your wedding, does that mean we can do stuff tonight? You know, before, like, we go tomorrow night? Those of you who didn't grow up, like, in the 90s when, like, Christians were, like, real Christians, like, boring Christians, like, crazy, eh, not boring. I shouldn't say that. <laughs> I'm getting myself in a lot of trouble right now. So let me get in the Wayback Machine and, and verify some things. Number one, God wants you to make a commitment to not have sex until you are married. That is a biblical commitment that you make because you're honoring God and you're honoring your spouse. And so when you say, I'm going to make that commitment, you're saying, you're the only one I ever want to be with, ever. And so our, my wife and I, Nikki and I, we made that commitment that we're not going to be intimate with anybody and we're not going to be intimate with each other until we have that signed, we're married. And that commitment, God honors. He's honored it in our relationship. Now, I'm not saying that to make those of you feel guilty that are like, but I didn't do that or that wasn't how we did this. And just keep it right today. Keep the wedding bed, your marriage bed pure. Because that was God's design for it, okay? That's, that's not my point of a message. That's a side note. And if you struggle with that kind of stuff, and you're like, well, that just sounds legalistic. No, it's God protecting you and your future spouse. You'll have no one else to compare to the one you're going to love the rest of your life. That is a godly gift that he gives you, okay? Now, I'm not, okay. I'm way off track on what I'm trying to preach on. But here's what I'm trying to talk about. Like, the moment you're married is the moment that license is signed. The ring, the ring, I can't get it off. All right, the ring is just a symbol, right? When you exchange rings, it's just a symbol of that marriage vow. It's saying, let our marriage be like this ring, that it's not going to end, right? 
and you make that commitment and you show that sign through a ring. It, whenever you're saved, you're saved. There's nothing else you can do to get more saved. Baptism is like the wedding ring. It's that external sign of like, I'm saved. I want to show it by living the example of what Christ did. He was baptized. Just, you know, he was saved. <laughs> he was Jesus. He was the Savior, obviously. He did it as an example for us that now we're buried and we're rose again. That's the wedding ring. So I want you to understand that when you're saved, you're saved and you are more than a conqueror. You don't have to become more than a conqueror. You don't have to work up to it like maybe someday I'll be a conqueror. Like, no, you are it. He has already done it. He has finished it. It is over. And so we can live into that goodness and into that promise that God has given us. Now, here's the thing like I've been talking about. Sometimes it's just so daggum hard to believe. It is. Um, this year's been an interesting year for me. Um, it's just been interesting. In January, we did a season of prayer and fasting, and it was a good season of prayer and fasting. And for me, I felt closer to God in that season than I had in a long time. And then February came, and I didn't feel it. Like, I, I was struggling with some things. I was praying through some things that I feel like I was walking with God in, but now f have gotten red light answers. You know those red light answers that we've talked about? When God answers prayers, it could be a green light, like, yeah, we're going for it. Yellow light, like, yes, but not yet. Or red light, like, nope, that's not it. I don't want that for you. And there are some prayers that I was so confident in that I feel have gotten red lighted. Those are the moments we struggle. Those are moments I've struggled. And my soul hasn't been able to keep up with the pace of life that we're living, that our families live. To where, like, I've been having anxiety. I, has anybody ever had anxiety before? Yeah. Like, it's, it sucks. When you're, like, doing something, all of a sudden your chest just tightens up and you start getting sweaty and your mind just starts racing and you feel out of control to the point where you're just like, I don't even know what to do. It comes a point where your emotions, you don't control your emotions. They just come when they come and you deal with them as they show up. I've gone through that the last number of months. I'm like, God, what is this? You say I'm more than a conqueror, but I don't feel like it. And the big amen helps me understand you've, you're there or you've been there. And I'm going to speak absolute truth to, not absolute, I'm going to speak a truth, something I believe is true, okay, in our culture and our society today. I, I believe that we are less emotionally healthy than we've been um, in my lifetime as a society. And we see it being acted out in violent ways with people because there's no filter for them anymore for their emotions or their thought life. And the enemy can just takes over. And for those of you who are somewhat healthy even, it still leads to those moments of what is going on inside of me. This doesn't feel victorious. This is hurt. This hurts. This, I, what is this? I have to go back to the promise of Romans 8, 28. God, you have promised this to turn it to good. And sometimes, like I said, we hold on to the promise while we're waiting for the purpose. That even though we struggle with things, even though we get worn down and worn out, this is what I don't want us to do. I don't want us to use our summers to hide out or to vacate. 
That's usually what we do, right? We try to go back to the things that give us a sense of comfort, like, and, and vacation for a lot of us, like we go somewhere, we do something, it's like, oh, that, I'd enjoy that. But what we're doing is we're actually vacating our souls in the process as well. We're not actually dealing with what's going on inside. And so when we get back from that vacation, we're still the same place we were when we left for that vacation. Is anybody with me? Okay, 17. We're getting higher number. All right, 17 of you. Let's, let's move on to 20. Because what we like to do is distract ourselves in the midst of emotional pain. We don't like living in it and dealing with it and then letting God be victorious through it. There's a process, and I've seen this happen in, with pastors, but I think this happens with everybody. Whenever your soul gets that heavy, you're going to do three things, and you're probably going to do it in this order. And hopefully you don't get to the last one. Because typically when we start to get there, the first thing we do is we hide out. Meaning we start kind of distancing ourselves from relationships. We start hiding out from things that we just don't want to do. And we start saying no to stuff. And so we start to hide out. And then and when we hide out, the problem is that then that leads to burnout. Because there's nothing filling and there's no truth coming into us. Because we've kind of hid away from those things. We've ran away from the things that actually give us life or the people that could give us life. And so you start to burn out. Now, if you don't deal with burnout and hiding out, it's going to lead to you sinning out. Right? Because when you get to that level of pain, you're going to do whatever it takes to not feel it. And a lot of times, for us, that's that, that sin that we go back to. That's that addiction. That's that hang-up. That's that, that, that moment of feeling of high, whatever that is for us, that gets the dopamine running in our brains. Like, and then... And then the guilt pattern starts and it pushes us farther from God and we spiral. I don't want any of us to do that. I don't want to do that. And so we need to, as a church, be intentional this summer to not hide out, burn out, and then sin out. Don't vacate your problems. Um, We want to help you this summer and we're going to call this Soul Care Summer for New Hope Church. Okay? Okay? Because I think we all need some tools. I think we all need some help. I think we all need some resources to not vacate and, and run away from the things that actually help us. I'm going to encourage you as we create these resources to use them. We're going to be texting, emailing, sending them out like all through the summer. Us as a staff, we're going to be doing things differently in June and July for us as a team because we need this as well. We need some soul care. Our family needs some soul care. To, to be intentional with that so we can continue to live into the calling that God has for us. But I want to I encourage us and those of you online especially, I don't want you to tap out from church community over the summer. I know some of you go camping over the summer. I get that. You can still camp, take a shower, and come on Sundays. There's something different about being here in person than there is watching online. There just is. The Spirit works differently in this room, and I'm not trying to make you feel guilty online, but I am letting you know it's different in the room than just watching a stream because God does something in this space when we gather together, and He does something in all of our hearts when we gather together. So let's not tap out from church community. Actually, I read an article, Pew Pew Research and a Duke study, and this is what they found about people who are healthier. In the United States, they found that the measure of someone's religious commitment, such as how often they attended church, were consistently associated with a range of outcomes, including a lower risk of depression, anxiety, and suicide, and reduced cardiovascular disease and death from cancer. 
they've proven that coming to church is a good idea. <laughs> Science has said those of you who attend church regularly are in Christian community together, you will have benefits from the promises of God for gathering together. That's what they're proving. That with prayer and church attendance, when practiced regularly, increases people's feelings of social connection and empathy with the consequent benefits for their mental health. Don't vacate God's gathering together. It's a part of your emotional health. It's a part of your soul care. So that's my encouragement to you. I've gone way over. We still have things to do. Okay. Um, because we're going to spend some time taking communion. And communion today is the reminder of the diamond we've been given, right? It's a reminder of the gift that we've been given through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. His body was broken for you. His blood was poured out and shed for you for the forgiveness of your sins. And when we read in, in, uh, in, in the scriptures and in, in Corinthians that Paul reiterates, like, do this together because it's the reminder for us. And check your hearts when you take communion. Where are you? Maybe ask God, can you like raise the number, God, of my con- that I'm convinced of your love for me? It, I don't know what else can convince you except for the cross. And so in a moment, I'm, we're going to release you, and I'm going to give you instructions and, and things, but we're going to be released, uh, ushers, we're going to release from the outside uh, aisles. About halfway back, you're going to be released and come to these front tables and grab your elements and circle to the front and then back in your seats. And about halfway back, they're going to circle you out to the tables in the back and then back into your row. And I want you to just do that. Examine your heart. Where are you with God? Don't do it lightly. You know, take communion. When you take that bread, make the proclamation, Jesus, your body was broken for me. And when you drink the juice, Jesus, your blood was shed for me. And then I would encourage you to say this, God Thank you for loving me. So God, in this time of response and as we spend this time together in communion, um, we want to, to feel the richness and the depth of your love for us. We are super conquerors because of the sacrifice, because of Christ Jesus and as we take this time to respond, God, there are some in this room that don't know you as their Savior. And today may be their day to make a confession, to, to believe in their hearts that it is Jesus that paid the price of their sin on the cross. And it is Jesus through him that they can have victory and live just as he lives. So in this time, as we respond, just use this moment, God, for how you want to use it. So in a moment, I'm going to have a stand, and, and we have prayer team members available. You'll see uh, people standing kind of e- each corner over behind the screens up here, kind of back in those corners, and they have these orange lanyards on. You'll see an orange lanyard and a sign that says,